I have one question to calmly ask you guys before we get started. Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Did you? (laughs) (laughs) So calm. Dumbledore said calmly as he throttled Harry. Oh, I love love Gamblin so much. (laughs) That Dumbledore has never trusted Harry. He thought he was the heir of Slytherin. He thought he put his name in the Goblet of Fire. That Dumbledore has never read the Harry Potter books. He's he's just a very befuddled old man. No clue where he is out Okay, let's start. Hello, and welcome to The Popcorn Isn't Real. I'm Leif Eric. I'm here with my brother Torvald and my sister Brita. Hello. Whenever you come on the podcast, you need to announce yourself by saying, sister. Wow. (laughs) You're my present this year, Brita. (laughs) You're my present this year. (laughs) It's just a really cool Folgers commercial. Great coffee commercial. (laughs) Brother comes home. Sister announces herself as sister. Well, it's because the audience wouldn't have known that they were incestuous lovers. How weird this commercial was if you didn't know you were a sister. (laughs) It's just really weird because he like knocks on his door and she's waiting for him and she giddily opens the door. And he's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I I was looking for for my house. You're much too beautiful to belong in my house. And she's like, sister. If you read between the lines, that's what it is. Ah, yes. It's subtext. He's like, I brought you something from far away. Way. And she's like, really? <laughs> like, yeah, ooh, I wonder exactly what he's gonna do to me. Like, really? <laughs> and then, and then he like reaches down and pulls out a package with a bow on it. And we never find out what's in that box. But she looks really disappointed to get it, and she's like, oh. <laughs> and then she like thinks to herself and smiles, and she takes the bow off the box and puts it on her brother because <laughs> that's what she wanted. She says, "You're my." Pr- present this year on youtube it's colloquial known as the folgers incest commercial i was gonna say where does this coffee even come into this it doesn't doesn't. (laughs) it's about these two siblings in love and the director was like how do we make people know how weird this is i know when she answers the door she says sister right Like, it's not even how you would normally inform an audience that these two are siblings. Like, Well, I'm glad we talked about that. We're back with more Harry Potter theories. And by more theories, I mean the same theories we cover every time. Woo-hoo. They just get more and more exciting. I know. Well, today we're talking about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Harry Potter 4. This movie is probably the most integral movie to a couple of these theories. The Ron cast Imperius on Hermione theory. Yeah. And also, in some ways, the uh, Hagrid is evil. <laughs> Hagrid is a Death Eater <laughs> theory. Hagrid is not in this movie very much, but there is some evidence. <laughs> Hagrid's not in this movie very much. And as I was going through my notes, I was like, this is a slow movie for the Hagrid theory. But then I was like, wait a minute. There is one thing about Hagrid that's very important in this movie. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> Just to recap for our audience, we're covering several Harry Potter theories, some of the biggest and craziest theories we could find. We could find or that we could make up. That we could find (laughs) in our own brains and in the internet. (laughs) Yeah. No, Ron, he's a dark wizard and he cast Imperius on Hermione and that's why she ended up with him. She never actually liked him. She liked Harry. Uh, There's another theory that Hagrid's a Death Eater, um, that he's been working with Voldemort all along or at least is a Death Eater asset. We also have a theory that Dumbledore, uh, he's a dark wizard. He's just as bad as Voldemort, possibly worse, and is trying to raise an army of loyal students to protect him and do his bidding. The final theory we have is that Snape is Harry Potter's real father. There's not much for that one in this movie, no. unfortunately. No. Don't we're we're going to get one. into we'll get it as, <laughs> as we get to like the six and seven. You know, if you really think about movies. it, it's not that curious. At all. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah, it's not curious at all. Anyway... Trigger warning, just if you love Harry Potter, we might be saying some bad things about your favorite characters, especially, especially if you like Ron, <laughs> this episode may be a bit tough for you to listen yeah. to. No, this one's oh, Ron is, oh my god! But like, if you like Ron, this movie is a tough one to watch, right? Seriously. Like, <laughs> no, even if we weren't I saying don't that like Ron, and it's still kind of tough curse. to watch him in this. He's a horrible yeah. person and He's just a an really awful bad friend. friend. Throughout this movie and the book, I love 
that they're clearly hinting that there is a bad guy, that there is somebody here who's working behind the scenes and doing stuff, but we don't know who. And then in the end, having it be Moody, the defense against the dark arts teacher, like the one person, the entire book or movie that is helping Harry. Yep. I think that's just like a stroke of genius. But in the entire series. Yeah, (laughs) in the entire series. The only teacher who ever did a good job of helping and protecting Harry is a Death Eater. Like one of the most evil Death Eaters he meets. Yeah, and interestingly, also the teacher who inspires Harry for his career life choice. (laughs) He has huge character development just from talking to this Mad-Eye, who is not Mad-Eye. And he seems to think (laughs) they're friends later, but they're not. (laughs) (laughs) I like Harry Potter 4 a lot. It's my favorite movie. I love it. This movie starts with an old man in a shed. This is Tom Riddle's house. They don't tell you this in the movie. So yeah, he goes to investigate the Riddle Manor where Tom has decided to hang out with his cronies. And it turns out that was actually all a dream that Harry had while he was sleeping. And Hermione watches Harry while he sleeps to make sure that he's okay. (laughs) Ron doesn't notice, even though Ron is sleeping (laughs) right next to him. him. Yeah. And as it turns out, she was actually there to wake him up early because they got to get to that port key because port keys are the most awesome way of traveling ever. No one has explained this to the children because all of them are talking to each other like, where are we going? I don't know, Dad. Hurry up. (laughs) Opposed to what Leif just said, I think they're basically the dumbest method of transportation ever. I just think they're the greatest. I think they're the dumbest. (laughs) (laughs) So they just throw you across the country. They just, it's like a giant picks you up and just chucks you in a direction. (laughs) Like they're not even attached to the key. They're flying off everywhere. (laughs) Yep. So they're at the Quidditch World Cup. They go into the little tent that's big on the inside. And one tiny detail I want to point out, Jenny and Hermione have an interesting relationship that we never really get to see. When they get into the big tent, Ginny does some weird thing to Hermione that causes her to squeal and scream and shout, Ginny! And the next we see them, Ginny's just chasing Hermione around the tent. That's how girls bond. (laughs) It's weird that the Weasley family seems to be supporting both the Irish and the Bulgarians because they're wearing all the colors. Wow. <laughs> at, least, at least in the book, like if I remember everybody. correctly, basically all of the Weasleys were supporting the Irish except for Ron, who was supporting Dude, the Bulgarians loves because, because of how much he loves Victor Crumb. He's yep. reciting Crumb poetry. That is a fan theory that I think we're going to get into. There is a theory that uh, Ron was in love with Victor Crumb. I mean, fair enough. There's no one like Crumb. He's like a bird <laughs> the way he rides the wind. He's more than an athlete. He's an artist according yes. to ron the most complimentary thing that ron has ever said about anyone I anyone think. yes <laughs> and jenny rightfully points out i think you're in love ron <laughs> yep and then <laughs> they is. sing the cute song uh to, just to clarify for our audiences who maybe haven't watched this in a while victor crumb is the bulgarian seeker uh who then comes into the movie later as well yeah of the extremely big important quidditch match that we get to see nothing of yeah i know <laughs> the match gets attacked the death eaters show up as the Quidditch World Cup is attacked, Arthur Weasley comes out of the tent and explicitly tells the kids to stick together. And then he even pairs them up. He says, all right, now, the twins, you go with Ginny, and the rest of you are going to meet for the port key. He says, well, run to the port key. Immediately after being told to stick together, Ron takes off and just leaves Hermione behind. Ron's gone. <laughs> he just leaves her. He's, he's, he's out of there. Literally, it's a split second after Arthur leaves and Ron's gone. He's just gone. <laughs> And Harry and Hermione are romantically torn apart in the crowd as Hermione screams, Harry! (laughs) Hermione is just frantically calling out for Harry. Yeah, because Hermione and Harry actually care about each other. (laughs) (laughs) Two people decide to pull these lovers away from each other. We never find out who pulls Harry (laughs) and Hermione apart. (laughs) Just fate. I'm wondering, was that Ron pulling... Hermione away and this is this when he bewitched her like is, is this what happened <laughs> he's like come on Hermione we're getting attacked by Death Eaters but I think now's the time no to cast the Imperious <laughs> yeah this is a perfect cover he's got the trace on him still but if there's Death Eaters you can cast Imperious Curse yeah, yeah it could have so been so it's true we have no evidence necessarily but this is a place where he could have cast it without it being you know noticed except he also could have cast it at any time in Hogwarts I believe because the trace isn't operative there that's true but anyway 
Anyway, so they're pulled apart and Harry is knocked to the ground and knocked unconscious. Harry must have so much brain damage. He's I know. Unconscious I was, I was so often. But he wakes up and sees a dark figure cast the dark mark and then run off. Mors Morda. It's a good thing seven wizards from the ministry showed up in a circle after all the Death Eaters were gone and tried to stupefy each other. (laughs) I mean, it just, it really is a perfect scene for demonstrating, like, like, the ineptitude of government, right? So dumb. (laughs) Brody Crouch Sr. runs up to them and is like, which one of you did it? You have been discovered at the scene of the crime to these three children. (laughs) The actor who plays Barty Crouch plays him so weird. I mean, like, I kind (laughs) of like it, but he's just like this really weird, stuttering, like nervous, strange man (laughs) who's kind of confused and scared of everything. (laughs) I agree. So there's two Barty Crouches in this movie. There's Barty Crouch Sr., who is working with the ministry, and there's Barty Crouch Jr., who is Mad-Eye Moody. (laughs) But yeah, it just seems bizarre to me that he would accuse these three children, one of whom was recently unconscious, in the wake of, like, a huge stampede of people. Everyone was there. Like, everyone was at the scene of the crime. No, it makes perfect sense. Like, this is actually canon. There's a reason he did this. Who cast the Dark Mark? It was his freaking son, who he had just smuggled out of Azkaban. (laughs) So he knew his son was there and he knew his son had cast it and he's covering for him by blaming it on Harry. (laughs) He picked a pretty bad scapegoat. Yeah. He got to use what he has, right? (laughs) (laughs) Why, he's an obvious Death Eater. (laughs) Yeah. Who would love Voldemort more than Harry Potter? Their their scars tie them together. Their wands tie them together. They're like best friends. Yeah, they're besties. (laughs) On the train to Hogwarts, Ron wants to buy a pack of Droobles and a licorice wand. He cannot do it. He just buys the Droobles because even though Harry offers to cover it, Ron won't let him. <laughs> the just the Droobles thing is kind of a nod to a subplot that was in the novel that had to do with Ron being extremely jealous of Harry's wealth. So when they were at the Quidditch tournament, when the Irish came in, their mascot was a leprechaun made out of fireworks who threw gold into the crowd. And Ron got a bunch of it and was super excited and was like, I'm going to pay Harry back. And like, (laughs) now I'm rich. And then later found out that none of that gold was real, obviously. And Ron was mad about it. And Ron was very mad about it. I once, this is one of the greatest moments of my existence. I attended a live Fast and Furious production. Whoa. Um, it was amazing, dude. They they had flying cars. Um, <laughs> they had the, the ice broke and like a missile came out of it and chased the car down. It was amazing. It was like a missile driving around the stage chasing that car. <laughs> a wheeled missile. So but at one point, they robbed the bank. You know, they, they like attached the wires to that vault and they <laughs> carted it around the <laughs> stage for a while. It's so good. Um, after they robbed the bank, they opened it up and they were like, look at all this money. But you know what? We're family. And in a family, what you get, you shares. And they started shooting money out into the audience <laughs> everywhere. And I was Whoa. like, wow, that's the furious money. So I grabbed like handfuls of this money. And then, you know, I looked at it. And of course, it's got like Dom's face on it where, <laughs> where Benjamin Franklin's face should be. And stuff. Right. <laughs> well, no wonder dude. they didn't mind sharing it. <laughs> this is like if... I was watching that and I was like, holy crap, they just robbed a bank and now they're sharing with me? I'm going to be rich. I'm going to pay off all my debts. I'm going to buy a house. And then when I looked at the money, I just, I saw red and got furious. I was like, they tricked me. This and is no, not you didn't real get mad at money. Them. You got mad, mad at your friend, friend for not mad at telling my you. Yeah. <laughs> No, it it makes no sense that he would think this play money is real money. (laughs) (laughs) Not a good book for Ron. Yeah, so they get to Hogwarts. Bobatons and Durmstrang show up. Yeah. And they put on a weird show. Also, very clearly, they have already decided who their Triwizard Tournament people champions are (laughs) going to be. Fleur enters last with her sister doing like weird gymnastics in a gymnastics <laughs> costume next yep. to her. And the two of them bow together at the center. And then Durmstrung all enter with their cool staff dance and run wow. to the end. And then Crumb enters with the headmaster as the rest of the students mm-hmm. blow fire. <laughs> now, it's important to note as the Bobaton girls make their entrance, 
Ron cranes his head to like creep on all of them. Yep. <laughs> and we hear a badly dubbed in bloody hell from Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Ron. Also, when Madame Maxine walks past, I think it's Dean who leans over to them and is like, that's a big woman and seems really into it. <laughs> Well, he's not the only one. No wonder he dates Ginny later. (laughs) Compared to Harry. That's true. She's so much taller than him. (laughs) But like further proof that they always planned on picking Fleur, no one else brought their sister. (laughs) (laughs) It was all older students. Why did she bring her sister? (laughs) Well, they were like, we hear you're going to need a sacrifice for the second task. You don't know anyone here. Now, Crumb, he's probably going to find a girlfriend. He always finds someone. But you... No, they brought her sister just to do gymnastics. Yeah, that wasn't like a tacky, unnecessary part of their butterfly show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, speaking of tacky, unnecessary shows, there's a really interesting cut scene right here. After the Bobatons and the Germstrings do their cool intros, Dumbledore is like, now it's time for a Hogwarts intro. And all the Hogwarts kids start singing Hogwarts. 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 This really unbelievably silly song as he it's like does the song. follow the bouncing ball thing with floating like lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. the Bobatons and the Germstrings like look around confused. <laughs> It's really good. And you can even hear Hermione and Hagrid happily singing Hoggy Woggy Hogwarts later on in the movie. Yes. Right before yeah. they find Crouch's body. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I love that scene and I can't believe they cut it. It's so good. <laughs> if you can track down a version of the movie with that scene, it makes the movie about 10 times better. Because it yeah. just shows wow. how unbelievably silly Hogwarts is compared to these <laughs> awesome schools. So they introduce Mad-Eye at this feast as well. He's so cool, dude. I love Moody. His acting. Oh, man. He's amazing. I don't know who uh, messed with the ceiling spell that Mad-Eye That's had That's what to I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, what? why does it start raining? <laughs> it's not supposed to do that. Also, every time that Mad-Eye took a drink from his flask of maybe alcohol, but definitely polyjuice potion, when I first saw the movie in theaters, like, the audience was in stitches. Like, they thought it was the funniest thing they'd ever <laughs> seen. <laughs> like, yeah, no, like, drunk. every time he does that. <laughs> Dude, I still do. Like, whatever happens, my next big evidence is Defense, Defense Against, Against the, the Dark Arts. Arts. Yes. <laughs> this is when it all comes together. Mad-Eye Moody is teaching about the unforgivable curses. He calls on Ron Weasley and says, give us a curse. He singles out Ron, specifically. Because he knows Ron's going to know about this curse. Ron hesitates, then says, well, I did hear about one, the imperious curse. Mad-Eye says, oh yeah, your father would know all about that. Gave the ministry quite a bit of grief a few years ago. I would insert the word you in there. You (laughs) gave the ministry quite a bit of grief a few years ago. Because right after he says it, Ron looks down in shame. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say is that he omits a pronoun. He could be referring to anything. He could be referring to Ron's father. He's like, your father gave the ministry quite a bit of grief a few years ago because he was casting it on people. And maybe that's where Ron learned it from. I don't know. Or maybe he's talking about Ron. He gives the reason like, I, you know, gave the ministry quite a bit of grief, which is true, assuming he's referring to the previous wizarding war in which there were lots of people who claimed that they had been imperious cursed into doing the Dark Lord's bidding, like Lucius Malfoy. But what does that have to do with Ron's dad? Exactly. Arthur works in the misuse of magical artifacts department. He would have had little to no interaction with Death Eaters who were claiming that they'd been imperious. Yeah. He talks about his father and says it gave the ministry quite a bit of grief. But like, why is that specific to Ron? Everyone works at the ministry. It's the only (laughs) place to work in the wizarding world. So it can't be just because he works at the ministry and there are a lot of people under the curse at the ministry. (laughs) Like, there's got to be something with the Weasley family and this curse. And again, this is... Mad-Eye Moody, but he's actually Barty Crouch Jr., so even if he doesn't know anything about the Ministry, maybe Ron didn't go on a rampage at the Ministry using the Imperious Curse that we just (laughs) never heard about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But on the other hand, Barty Crouch Jr. is working with Wormtail, who was Ron's rat. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) You know all about Ron's secrets. Exactly. (laughs) He and Gorgios and Imperios this giant, evil-looking spider. It's a tailless whip scorpion. scorpion is what yep. it's Dude, that thing is so evil-looking. 
instead of just like controlling its mind, he's levitating it around like he could do normally. And he's like, what should I make her do as she's struggling against him and he's forcing her into the water? (laughs) Like, he just used Wingardium Leviosa on this spider, but the call that the Imperius... Well, and I would like to point out, this is exactly what he does later to Draco as a ferret. Yes. Was Draco under the Imperius curse just then? (laughs) It looks exactly the same. Like, he's doing the same thing to the spider as he does to the ferret later, which, if that's the case, McGonagall should be so much more mad he's putting the Imperius curse on Draco. He should be like, what should I have Draco do next? Jump out the window and drown himself. (laughs) (laughs) So then he asks Hermione for the last curse and she won't give it to him. So he Avada Kedavra's this spider. What is it? A whip? Tailless whip scorpion. He Avada Kedavra's it just inches away from her face. And if you just replace that wand with a gun, it's like an incredibly <laughs> chilling thing for a teacher. Well, yeah, to do. and that's yeah. that's exactly what Hermione's saying as they leave. Uh-huh. Ron is and like, oh, that was brilliant. Right. Like crazy, but brilliant. It. And Hermione is like, there's a reason those curses are unforgivable to use them in a classroom. And she's absolutely right. Uh-huh. And if you look at this from the perspective of our theories, Ron, who has cast an Imperious Curse, is like, this is brilliant. They're finally doing the stuff that I've been teaching myself all these years. This is great. (laughs) And then Hermione, who is under the Imperious Curse but can't say anything, is just pissed because she's like, I'm under one of these curses. This is, it's insensitive to people like me. (laughs) (laughs) Although, of course, the actual reading is that she is offended for Neville because he was like traumatizing Neville with the Cruciatus Curse. This is illegal. This is rude to Neville. Also, he just shot a gun right in front of my face. Like, I'm done with <laughs> He should have been more sensitive to people in that class who may have been imperious <laughs> at the time. I mean, to be fair, that is true of <laughs> Neville's parents. He specifically asked Neville for the Cruciatus curse, which he knows is what made <laughs> yeah. Neville's yeah. parents <laughs> go insane. <laughs> Pretty inappropriate until you remember he's a Death Eater. He's a Death Eater. Yeah, yeah it makes perfect <laughs> sense, but it's horrible. <laughs> The next scene that's big is when they're putting their names in the cup, I believe. Yes. Dude, did you think that the Goblet of Fire was the Triwizard Cup? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't actually think it, but I always thought it was stupid that they're two different things. I did too. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why couldn't you just pick up the Goblet of Fire at the end of that maze? They they don't keep it anyway. It's like, Uh why have the Triwizard Cup and the Goblet? And it's named after the Goblet of Fire, and yet the Triwizard Cup is way more important. Yeah. After Cedric puts his name in the cup, this is just a random thing I noticed. Ron does like a weird, awkward wave or maybe a failed high five to Cedric as he walks past. Well, Cedric's a very popular student. But then he does turn to Harry and reveal a little bit about himself. He says, eternal glory. Be brilliant, wouldn't it? Three years from now when we're old enough to be chosen. And then Harry's like, yeah, rather you than me. Yeah. It's just interesting that that's what Ron is thinking about, like, all day, every well, day. And he has been since he was a kid, right? In the very first movie, The Mirror of Era said what Ron saw was essentially eternal glory. It was just his concept of it at the time, which was like yeah, being head a boy. prefect and winning the Quidditch <laughs> tournament. Yeah, being head boy. All he ever wanted was to be rich, famous, and powerful like Harry. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought it was interesting in this scene, though, the twins, they are going to drink this aging potion. Hermione, it's not going to work, but they try it anyway, and then they get aged. Yeah, they're so good at feeding each other potions. Yeah, they are. are. I thought this was interesting because in the movie, like everyone's cheering for them and clapping and like super excited. And that was true in the book, too. Like it was a a bunch of, I think, younger students tried to put their names in the goblet and people were like, yeah, go for it. And then as soon as Harry manages it, everyone's like deathly silent and it's like, he's a cheat. (laughs) Like, how could he have done that? It's like you were just cheering for the twins trying to do the exact same thing. I kind of think all the ridicule might be from Harry's perspective. Uh, (laughs) Because it seems like people are like ridiculously antagonistic toward Harry. I mean, to be fair, Ron specifically says like, I'm not the only one who said you'd done it. It was everyone. But who trusts Ron's word? (laughs) There is a lot less reason in the movie for Ron to be so mad at Harry for putting his name in the (laughs) cup. When he, like, Harry didn't even talk about it. Ron made an offhand remark that Harry was just like, yeah, screw that. Like, in the books, they actually kind of talked about it, and they were kind of like, there was a lot more of that, where it'd be like, man, that would be cool if we could do it together, and Ron's like, oh, why'd you do it without me, Harry? I'm so mad at you. But like, in the movie, there's no reason for him to be so pissed at Harry. Like, it's just (laughs) like, what is wrong with you, Ron? (laughs) 
Dude, don't you love how the Goblet of Fire is just a most popular person picker? Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly it's like the most well-rounded and like strongest no, student. It's but most yeah, popular. It's, it is. So I think we've basically moved on to this next scene, which is the goblet choosing. Pieces of paper fly out of the goblet and we see them choose the most popular students from the three schools, of course, which is Victor Crumb, Fleur Delacour, and Cedric Diggory. And then a fourth one comes out and it's Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> I love the way Dumbledore says it. He's like, Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. What? <laughs> Harry Potter? And then he starts screaming it. Yeah. <laughs> he just flies off the head. <laughs> I like the scene right after that, though, where, like, Harry's trying to slink back from Gambon, who's screaming, and Hermione's like, yes. Harry, Harry, get out there! And I'm like, I don't yep. blame him! Like, <laughs> you know, I was like, I wouldn't get out there either. <laughs> no! <laughs> after his name is chosen, and he goes up, there's a moment where he and Snape just meet eyes and stare at each other for one <laughs> shocked instant. Dude, Snape's proud of his son, though. As all the heads of school and the chosen students are walking into a room that is filled with nothing but goblets. (laughs) (laughs) School goblet room. (laughs) Then they bring Harry in. Gambon has his, you know, award-winning moment. Give us a name of the goblet fire! (laughs) (laughs) And then they start saying, like, he shouldn't compete. And Barty Crouch Sr. Yeah, he shouldn't. (laughs) Clarifies that the rules are absolute. The Goblet of Fire constitutes a binding magical contract. Mr. Potter has no choice, which is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, is. a great way to commit murder would be to put someone yeah. else's name in the Goblet of Fire because like, they, they, people right. die in this tournament yeah. regularly. That's I why mean, they that's haven't what... had one since the 1700s. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's an ancient barbaric tradition where yeah. they kill kids. <laughs> and he's like, his name's in there, he's got to die. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> who would make this ridiculous piece of magic that they're like, oh, it's a binding magical contract. Doesn't matter who puts your name in. Anyone can. <laughs> sign this binding mm-hmm. magical contract for Dude. you. Like, can you imagine if I could, like, go to the bank and just sign a loan for Eric Johnson? I know. And then everyone is like, well, you have to buy this house now. Someone signed this contract in your name. I can explain the insane binding magical contract thing. In the books, we learn that Barty Crouch Sr. is currently being imperious by his son, Barty Crouch Jr., Oh. Who he was also imperiousing. What's <laughs> um, that? So it, right. It, I had a funny thought while I was thinking about this. I'm like, what would happen if I imperious someone and told them to imperious me? <laughs> like, well, would, I guess, just kind of zone out. <laughs> but um, basically, what I'm getting at is that Moody is controlling Barty Crouch right now, and they're both in the room. So Moody's mm-hmm. just making him say, This is a binding magical contract. The boy must compete. Which is what Moody wants, right? I see. Dumbledore says that Barty made the rules clear, and McGonagall replies, The devil with Barty and his rules. And since when do you accommodate the ministry? (laughs) Which is showing that everyone knows Dumbledore will just break the laws. (laughs) Like, he doesn't care. Dumbledore, one of the first questions he asks Harry is, did you ask one of the older students to put the name in for you? Which Which means it apparently (laughs) was that easy. (laughs) (laughs) He just didn't try that. Immediately after that, Snape suggests that, like, maybe for the time being, we should just let these events unfold. Right, and I want to see his son mm-hmm. win. Yes. Oh, because yeah, I was like, what kind of father would want his son in this situation? He's like, proud of him. He's like, my son can win. He's got Snape blood in him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. He's like, oh man, my son's in the big game. He's going to win. <laughs> If you think about this, the headmasters, Karkaroff and Maxine, should be so much more mad. It is oh, yeah, not fair should. when Hogwarts wins. Yeah. They had an extremely unfair advantage. They have two contestants. Uh-huh. Yeah. I also think that this is the reason why Dumbledore isn't protesting more. Like McGonagall's like, you never cared about rules. And he's like, yeah, but this exactly. is actually this helpful one to me. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest quotes in this movie comes that night when Ron and Harry are going to bed. Dude. <laughs> Ron says, yeah, that's me, Ron Weasley, Harry Potter's stupid friend. Dude. <laughs> I love He's how totally he knows Harry it. Potter's like, this friend. is his role in life. That's the tagline of this episode. No one would ever describe themselves as someone else's friend. 
Unless they had like some deep-seated hatred for that person. Because Ron doesn't even like Harry, but he can't mm. not be Harry's friend because that's his only claim to fame. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that's all he's got. He doesn't yep. even have his girlfriend. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> if Ron wasn't friends with Harry, you know that Hermione would stick with Harry, not Ron. <laughs> she does in this movie several yeah. times. <laughs> So I love when Rita Skeeta is interviewing all the contestants that she takes Harry into a broom closet and says, <laughs> you should feel right at home then. How does she know that? <laughs> Dude, she knows She's everything. done her research, man. Yeah. She's a good journalist. <laughs> Harry gets an owl saying Sirius wants to meet him in the common room at night. Yeah. Did he get an owl from Sirius? There's no way of validating that this owl came from Sirius. <laughs> this could be an owl from anybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it reads it in Sirius's voice in his head. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right. And speaking of reading in people's voices, we see the article that Rita Skeeter wrote about him. And this kind of explains why all the Wizarding newspapers are basically unreadable. It's because <laughs> apparently Rita Skeeter reads you the article in her in voice, head, yeah. <laughs> which actually is not the article that is on the paper. She's reading something different. Oh, no. <laughs> That's just what Harry's seeing. <laughs> and there is one article on that paper that says something. I can't read much of it. It says something about the Department of Regulation of Magical Creatures and Hagrid. Uh -oh. Oh, no. I don't know what's going on, but it kind of sounds like he's in some trouble. <laughs> and uh, it's newsworthy trouble. <laughs> when Sirius shows up... Sirius put his head in the fire to talk to Harry just so that he could freak him out. Yeah. He does yeah, not give Harry, Harry any useful information whatsoever. No, like, you better look scene. out, Harry. You're in danger. Ooh. People die <laughs> in this tournament. <laughs> like, it's just for the trailers. <laughs> Also, Harry tells two people about his prophetic dreams about Voldemort. The first is Sirius and the second is Dumbledore. And with Dumbledore, he basically proves that he saw something real because he saw yeah. a person he did not know. Um, and mm -hmm. both of them are just like, yeah, don't even worry about it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why don't people tell Harry things? Whenever you don't tell Harry something, it turns out bad because yeah. he's going to do something stupid. Why do they not know? You just tell Harry the thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also have to say that having read the fourth book first, I assumed that Harry and Sirius had a much deeper, more meaningful relationship <laughs> than they do. He because he just loves Sirius so once. much. <laughs> yeah. And then when I read the whole series after reading the fourth book first, I was like, oh, they don't have a relationship at all. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so in the next scene, Neville is standing in the lake looking at plants saying, amazing. And Harry interrupts him <laughs> to say, Neville, you're doing it again. <laughs> For which Neville mm -hmm. apologizes. Hey, such a rude <laughs> And he just doesn't care about Neville's interests. What is he even so annoyed at Neville for doing? <laughs> You're looking for at enjoying plants. himself. Yeah, for enjoying plants. <laughs> and then this is the scene where Hermione gets to act as an owl. Which is, of course, much better in the movie than in the book. Yeah, I agree. Despite what a certain meme yeah. Torvald sent me claims. In the book, she goes on and on for like five paragraphs, just telegraphing Ron's feelings. Here's the exact situation, and here's how Ron relates to you, and here's what the reader should feel. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like, I am not an owl is such a great line, because yeah. in one line it explains how she feels about right. this moment, which is really exactly. what is important to her. <laughs> uh -huh. Ron is kind of controlling Hermione right here. He's like pushing her forward despite her protests, and he's like... She's like, why don't you just go tell him yourself? This is your problem, not mine. And then he whispers something to her and says, go. And then she hesitantly and mechanically approaches oh, Harry. Oh, man. And she keeps like, like she's bewitched. looking away <laughs> and then says, Ronald would like me to tell you that Seamus told him that Dean was told by Pavati that Right. Hagrid is looking for you. Right. Like <laughs> just the way she's talking is so weird. And she's she could memorize that. Ron <laughs> wants me to tell you that Seamus told him that Dean was told by Pavardi that Hagrid's looking for you. It's not that difficult. Right? It's because the imperious curse works best when you're allowing the person to kind of do what they do naturally. Naturally, mm -hmm. Hermione would never say something so stupid. Yes. <laughs> it's the wrong yeah. thing to say. So mm -hmm. it just doesn't come out of her mouth very well. <laughs> she retreats back to Ron and says desperately. Are you sure you want me to do this? At which Ron says, do it. Do it. <laughs> Just like Emperor Palpatine. Now, I have an important note about the Imperious Curse. In the books, we know that Barty Crouch Sr. was under the influence of the Imperious Curse since shortly after the Quidditch World Cup. But according to Barty Crouch Jr., 
Barty Crouch Sr. never had the capacity to recognize that he was being imperious. Ah. He said, after a while, he began to fight the imperious curse, just as I had done. There were periods when he knew what was happening. My father was going to tell Dumbledore everything to confess. Ah. He was going to admit that he had smuggled me from Azkaban. It's important to know, people who are under the influence of imperious curses may not know that they're under the influence of imperious curses. And they also may have moments of lucidity where they're trying to fight it, where they're trying mm -hmm. to maybe ask for help or say something's wrong here. <laughs> What's going on? Or say, are you sure you want me to do this? And I think that's what was happening right here with Ron and Hermione. I think she hasn't been cursed long enough and she's still having moments of lucidity. Yeah, that makes sense. It all checks out. <laughs> Harry goes to meet Hagrid in the Forbidden Forest. Hagrid does say, like, you brought your invisibility cloak, like I said. Yeah. And Harry's like, yeah, what's going on? But later, Ron reveals that Dean never told me anything. So it was me all along <laughs> once mm -hmm. he figured that right, part right. out. And he's like, oh, who could have possibly figured that out? It's completely mental. This is how they, like, make up. <laughs> Harry is mad at Ron because Charlie is there with the dragons. So he assumes Ron knew there were dragons and Ron didn't tell him there was going to be dragons. Now, Ron knew that Harry would be mad at him for not telling him about the dragons. Ron also knew that Harry was going to end up going with Hagrid to see the dragons no matter what. Because Hagrid could just come get Harry. It's not like Hagrid hasn't done that before. The only reason that Ron did his stupid thing where he told Hermione to tell Harry that Hagrid was looking for him is because in Ron's mind that was a way for him to stay mad at Harry while also making it so Harry couldn't be more mad at him. Because ah. Harry was going to find out about the dragons no matter what. He's just trying to insert himself into this equation that doesn't need him in it. <laughs> <laughs> the important thing here is that Hagrid is cheating to make Harry win. Well, not just Harry, though, because he shows it to Madame Maxine as well. Well, that's just because he wants to get some tail on the side, right? <laughs> but Hagrid didn't tell Cedric about it. Only Harry. <laughs> he wants Harry to win. And what happens when Harry wins? Harry goes to Voldemort. Yes. <laughs> right. So Hagrid and Moody are the people in this book who are conspiring to make sure Harry, Harry wins. wins. Yes. And this isn't the only thing that Hagrid does to make sure Harry wins. In the books, for the Care of Magical Creatures assignment, uh, he tells the students to raise blast-ended scroots, mm -hmm. which are one of the creatures in the maze in the final mm. challenge that they'll have to fight which Harry was incredibly prepared to fight. And the other <laughs> students weren't because they weren't from Hogwarts. So they didn't get that assignment, right? And it's worth noting, too, that in Hogwarts, your, your classes are by your year. So Cedric may not have been getting the blast-ended screech assignment I'll either. I bet he didn't. <laughs> and what else did he put in the maze? Giant spiders, which must have been <laughs> acromantulas that he keeps in the forest and knows that Harry can deal with. As far right? as we know, only two people know Aronia XMA, and it's <laughs> Harry and Harry Voldemort. And Voldemort. <laughs> Harry talks strategy with Moody. He goes to Moody's office, and Moody has to telegraph to him, you're good at flying. <laughs> Harry's such an airhead. Yeah, oh my like god! point by point. <laughs> yes. Crumb, the world-class seeker, will have a strategy, and you bet it will play to his strengths. What are your strengths, Harry? Hint, hint, well, the same as crumbs. I'm a pretty yeah. good seeker, which is but what I'm you not, just said. But I'm not allowed a broom. <laughs> There's no solution. Poor Barty Crouch really had his work cut out for him with this unbelievably difficult task Voldemort laid him with. Like, oh my gosh, he just had to get idiotic, friendless, hapless Harry to the finals somehow. How worthless and useless is Moody's faux glass? He says... If I can see the whites of their eyes, then they're standing right behind me. <laughs> like, what a worthless piece of magical equipment. It tells you when people are literally just about to get you, when you could just see them anyway with your real eyes. You don't know. <laughs> Rita, why don't you tell us about the romantic Pyramus and Thisbe, Romeo and Juliet talking <laughs> through the... Oh yeah, so there's this beautiful scene uh, where, yeah, Harry's waiting for the first uh, task and he's sitting in this tent and then Hermione comes up to the side of the tent the and we get this, the whole movie. Yeah, this cut screen with each of them on one side of the fabric as they're talking. So beautiful. 
<laughs> yeah. And she says, I'm scared for you, Harry. And then just launches herself through the tent. She just dog. can't hold herself back. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she well, has she to wasn't Harry. holding herself back. There was a curse holding her back. <laughs> and she finally she overcame it. Love. The power, the power of love. love. <laughs> yeah. So they hug and Rita Skeeter gets a picture of it, it's which is great. Because it immortalized Good for that Rita. moment. <laughs> yeah. They get the hug forever. Just just eternally. Hug and then they let go and then they <laughs> and hug And they again. hug again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, and after Rita leaves, Dumbledore comes in to brief the champions, and Hermione just stays there. Just stands with and them. And she just yep. clutches Harry's arm and <laughs> just stays really close to him. Until finally someone asks, what are you doing here, Miss Granger? And she's like, oh, and leaves. <laughs> Dumbledore is counting down to when they're ready to fight dragons, and Filch sets off the cannon too soon. Now, I actually like the attention to detail that Hogwarts is just like a terribly and completely unorganized school that's <laughs> terrible at everything they do, which I think is just true to life for any school that you go to. Like, even if it's an expensive school with tons of tuition you pay is it at a like college. like some school that you may have gone <laughs> yeah. to? Your Whoa. massive tuition just gets you a bunch of confused, extremely old people trying yep. to organize things they barely understand. <laughs> Dude, that dragon was just wailing on Harry. This is so not safe. It immediately yeah. snaps its chains, gets away, <laughs> yeah. attacks the crowd, starts yeah. wrecking the castle. This is an idiotic tournament. <laughs> like, that chain is directly Charlie Weasley's fault. Uh, like, yeah. what, what was he doing there? Charlie, like <laughs> Hagrid, failing. just loves dragons so like, much. They should be free. <laughs> and yeah. thinks they're not dangerous. And thinks they're not dangerous, exactly. So he probably is like, oh, this poor sweet... Hungarian horn tail. It doesn't need a strong chain that'll hurt it. Yeah, give it the smaller chain. Oh, and as a kid in the books, I thought it was so cool that Harry got to keep his miniature Hungarian horn tail. I always wanted a miniature dragon like that. This would be the best tournament prize. Way better than a cup that takes you to Voldemort. Yeah, like a hundred times better. (laughs) Do you think those were just dragons with Reducio cast on them? Possibly. That would be so cool if they were. <laughs> hey, Bill, we need two of each of these kind of dragons. He's like, why do you need so, two? Like, well, and we Bill would be like, I work at Gringotts. Ask my story. brother Charlie. Oh, sorry. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> sorry, Fred. Tell me about Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Percy? Which one? <laughs> Percy. <laughs> They're celebrating because Harry... Do you want me to open it? Should I open it? (laughs) And once Ron realizes that everyone loves Harry because they are celebrating with him in the common room, he realizes I can't stay mad at him. I got to go with the crowd here. Uh And uh, they make up and Hermione stares lovingly at Harry after they make up and whispers, boys. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's quite the emotion I got from that scene. (laughs) So next thing. Hermione's angry because the newspaper is saying that she's no longer in love with Harry, but she's in love with Victor Crumb. She's not mad that it's saying she's in love with Harry in the first place. She's just mad about the Crumb thing. No. I think that Rita has very good journalistic insight because she does later go out with Victor Crumb. So I think mm-hmm. all the things it was yeah. saying was true in that article. She was in yeah. love with Harry. Later she and, goes out with Crumb. Yeah. <laughs> Nigel comes and delivers Ron a parcel. And then awkwardly stands there until Ron dismisses him. (laughs) And Hermione's like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I promised him that I'd get Harry's autograph. He hasn't even been Harry's friend for more than like a day. And he's (laughs) He's already already like leveraging it. it. (laughs) He's he's admitting that he's just like trying to use Harry's fame to get gain and get favors and servitude. Why hasn't he gotten Harry's autograph? Like, you could just ask. He just wants a servant for longer. (laughs) Seriously, Harry should thwart Ron by giving out autographs to everyone. Then Ron would have no power. Yeah, he just gets them to everyone in the school. A lot of the school would be like, Harry, why are you giving me? autograph i don't want your autograph you're just a uh, student that, that would be so embarrassing as a student here you go draco you should do that in front of all the slytherins draco i know you were embarrassed to ask but here's <laughs> my, autograph. my autograph autograph from the great harry potter uh, with all my love that could have been the greatest prank ever <laughs> let's talk dating the scene where fred asks angelina to the ball Ron's like, you don't have a date. And he's just like wordlessly <laughs> throws something at Angelina and makes a few hand motions to her. And she's like, she's oh, like yeah. yeah. so into it. Yeah, I was like, I I know. imagine so being that girl who got hit by a piece of paper and then 
She's like, what? One of the twins? Dude. I don't even care which one. You know? Fred and George are just like, that oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Angelina does play Quidditch with them, so she, oh, she, yeah. she, she knows, knows them. Him. They have a scene where McGonagall is teaching them how to dance. And she says, Inside every girl, a secret swan slumbers, longing to burst forth. And Ron whispers to Seamus, Something's about to burst out of Eloise Midgen, but I don't think it's a swan. What? Is he implying that she's pregnant and <laughs> he's know. the father? That's <laughs> like, bizarre. <laughs> I think she was like so nervous she was about to throw up. Maybe. Throw up, I don't maybe, know. yeah. I was say, it sounds like innuendo, but it's not. <laughs> The whole ball thing makes this movie amazing. Like it manages to make this movie more mature while still capturing like the whimsy of the first two films and losing the stupidity of the third film. (laughs) Wow. Ron tries to basically guilt Hermione into going out with him. He tries to shame her into it by saying, it's okay for a bloke to show up alone, but for a girl, it's just sad. You're a girl, right, Hermione? (laughs) She says... Believe it or not, someone already asked me and I said yes. So I feel like this is the part where the lucidity thing comes into play because Ron has her under the imperious curse. Ron, who I believe doesn't like Hermione and kind of wants to punish her, wants her to be alone in her room crying (laughs) on the ball night. I think that's what he's told her to do. So he's surprised when she has a date. And I think this is because Hermione has started to sort of break free from his spell around this point, though, of course, she's not totally free. She's just getting those moments of lucidity where she can uh, go ask out Crumb or whatever. Uh, Believe it or not, someone already asked her, which means Crumb asked her. (laughs) Right, right, right. right. She (laughs) said yes, and and Ron wasn't around to tell her no, so it broke his spell a little bit. And Harry finally gets them both dates. Dude, why do they treat the Patil twins so badly? They're just horrible. Like, Like, I feel so bad for the Patil twins during that entire scene. They're the worst dates in the world. Why is Padma Patil always hanging out in the Gryffindor common room. She is not a Gryffindor. She's, a Gryffindor. <laughs> She's a Ravenclaw. She the Pavardi is wants. a Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, Dumbledore probably has like a special twin rule. So then there's the scene where they're dressing up for the dance and Ron is horrified because he looks so gross like his great uncle Tessie. And then he smells himself and says, I smell like my great uncle Tessie. Well, that Why didn't your you fault, wash Ron. your robes, you <laughs> yeah. idiot? <laughs> like there's, there's no one to blame for that. He was he expecting to Hermione he has to do magic. it. He could have cast Cleanius Robius and it would have been clean. Pavardi looks up at Hermione and says, she looks beautiful. And Harry says, yeah, she yes. does. Oh, yeah, dude. He's, he's supposed to be looking at Cho during that scene. But then he does turn around and see Hermione. And, and he is amazed because she's like, she looks great. And he's like staring at her. He's mesmerized. And he's like, whoa, she used like 12 cans I, of Sleek Easy. I, I got so much money for that. Yeah. <laughs> As romantic music plays, she comes down the stairs smiling all at him and staring directly at Harry as she walks down the stairs. Not at like Crom, you know? No. I just got to say, in the books, this was like an ingenious scene because Ginny and Harry and Ron and Hermione and Cho and pretty much everyone at this dance are all with someone who they don't want to be with watching (laughs) the person who they do want to be with. Yes. There is a cut scene where Harry goes and wanders through a bunch of carriages, some of which have students doing things in them. Wow. <laughs> and then, like, I think there was a, a confrontation between Snape and Karkaroff there as well, but they cut that. So, yeah. <laughs> but that answers the question when Harry comes back and Hermione's like, where have you been? Never mind. Go to bed. <laughs> both of you. <laughs> he was just wandering around. <laughs> I love that Hermione actually chews them out and sends them to bed. The one thing that I dislike is that she then is like, why didn't you ask me to go with you? Like, That's not what she says. She says, you know what the solution is, right? Next time there's a dance, pluck up the courage and ask me before somebody else does and not as a last resort. So what she's saying isn't you should have asked me because I wanted you to ask me. What she's saying is if you're going to attack me and be a huge jerk about it and be like, oh, no one wants to go with you, then you should have asked me in the first place. Right. right? Like you're ruining my night when you could have just asked me if that's what you wanted. Hermione. <laughs> Hermione is misunderstanding something here when she says you should have asked me first. She's forgetting that Ron is in love with Victor Crumb. (laughs) He's jealous because she's with Victor Crumb. He's sitting there stewing mad the whole night because he's like, oh, look at him dancing. Yeah, like an eagle (laughs) flying on the wind. (laughs) He's an artist. Oh, man, that Victor... 
There is a romantic scene on the covered bridge where Hermione and Harry talk. Hermione says Victor is more of a physical being. (laughs) (laughs) Then she makes sure to talk him down in front of Harry, saying that, oh, he's so annoying. I really like you. He's not as good as you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then we get that I'm scared for you line that was in all the trailers. And then... To pay Harry back for very straightforwardly telling him about dragons, Cedric gives Harry the most cryptic and weird non-clue ever to (laughs) tell him about how to solve the egg puzzle. Like, Harry's just lucky that his friend, Moaning Myrtle, was in that bathroom (laughs) to give him a real hint. Yeah. Cedric's hint is, quote, it's not a bad place to take a bath. That's it. Well, doesn't he also say, like, take the the egg egg and uh, mull things over in the hot water? Dude, the prefix bathroom on the fifth floor. Whoa, what a bathtub. Okay. That thing is a swimming pool. We gotta talk about this bathroom. Different colored water. This bathroom appears in the Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery mobile game. And the crazy thing about it is that you get to choose the gender of your character, right? So you can be male or female. <laughs> and you can become a prefect. And if you become a prefect, you get access to the prefect's bathroom. But they don't know whether you're gonna be male or female. And they have some scenes where you're working with the Weasleys. So literally oh, no. everything you do this year, you are going with Bill and Charlie. Weasley into the prefect's bathroom that is co-ed. Any wow. like all the prefects, male and female, and there are always lots of people hanging together. out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Roman bath. No, it is. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like a Roman bath. So bizarre. <laughs> Maybe they all wear swimsuits, right? Harry didn't. <laughs> no, he but he didn't know the rules. To. He wasn't yeah, a prefect. He's, prefect. <laughs> he's just lucky no one else came in. The only time they ever show the bath in use in the game. I think it was a glitch, but Charlie was standing in the bathtub fully clothed. (laughs) (laughs) You're not supposed to get naked at all. You just jump in. To me, the most unbelievable part is that even after Harry opens the egg underwater and learns what the challenge is, he still makes zero progress. He doesn't prepare for it, even with everyone's help. And he's being such a jerk to Neville, who's just such a great friend. I've seen people online point out that, like, Neville walks up to him and starts telling him about, like, a Tibetan levitating tree. And then he's like, I don't care about levitating tree, Neville. And, like, people have pointed out, like, that directly correlates to one of Harry's interests, which is brooms. Yep. <laughs> levitating. He's just like, trying to talk to Neville Harry. Neville was specifically <laughs> trying to talk to Harry about something interesting to him, and he just doesn't care. But anyway. So he gets the gillyweed, and then he has to be told by Moody to put it in his mouth. He can't even figure out to put it in his mouth. True. (laughs) When he gets underwater, I don't think it's Harry's fault that there was a misunderstanding about who he should rescue. Cho and Hermione are both there, and they (laughs) expected him to want to save Ron? Yeah. (laughs) Of course he's trying to save Hermione first. He looks straight at Ron and is just like, screw that, and then goes to Hermione. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) She's obviously a more treasured friend to him. And more loyal friend than Ron has ever been, especially this year. <laughs> I understand Harry wanting to save Ron to some extent. I understand him wanting to save Harry. I understand him wanting to save Cho. It's so awkward and embarrassing that he decides to save, save Flora's Flora. sister. <laughs> no, because she's just a little girl. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, his his introduction to this whole tournament was his godfather, the person he randomly trusts right, the most, yeah. being like, people <laughs> die, die in this tournament. An escaped criminal told me from a fireplace that everyone's going to die. <laughs> so I gotta protect this girl. Crumb and Durmstrang got totally screwed here because oh, he yeah. was clearly second place, but oh, Harry gets second in place for outstanding moral fiber. Yeah, BS. <laughs> Hermione wraps Harry in a towel and kisses him on top of his head as soon as he gets out. <laughs> so sometime after this, Hagrid is leading them through the forest and telling them how they're a bunch of misfits and he always thought so even when he first <laughs> met them. <laughs> <laughs> such a jerk. Oh, that's a great <laughs> thing. Nice. So Hagrid led them to Crouch's dead body. Like, there was no reason for them to be walking through the forest with Hagrid right then. not at all. (laughs) Like, he specifically was like, I'll just take these kids to find this body. Probably taking them out for Moody to kill some of them. But Moody had already (laughs) been killing that night. (laughs) So Harry goes into Dumbledore's office after experiencing a traumatic event. He just found a dead man. And what does Dumbledore do to comfort him? He leaves leaves him in his office, telling him he should indulge in a bowl of candy. That try to eat you. Yes, they're horrible, evil candies. This is a terrible prank. Well, they're just a bit sharp. Oh, Harry could use some cheering up. Maybe a good old prank after he finds a dead body. (laughs) 
the head of the Department of International Magic Cooperation, who is the one who started this tournament, has turned up dead and they don't do anything. Nothing. Yeah, this place should be crawling with horrors, yeah. just trying to uh -huh. solve the mystery. They should like shut the school down, send Fudge everyone home. Fudge is just home. like, no, 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 no. We're going to pretend that didn't happen. At Igor Karkarov's hearing, he condemns Snape as a Death Eater, right? Yes. And then Dumbledore says that they already know that, and Snape turns spy for them at great personal risk. I don't know. This seems like something that Dumbledore shouldn't be announcing. <laughs> <laughs> Barty Crouch is there in the room, Barty Crouch Jr., and yeah. he is a Death Eater. <laughs> like, it's a good well, thing they caught him because he now knows. <laughs> yeah. If Barty Crouch Jr. hadn't just leapt across the courtroom and gone crazy, <laughs> he would have been just fine. They never yeah, would have totally known. Totally could have gone. Barty Crouch Jr. cannot control his tongue. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Barty Crouch Jr. just in general can't control himself. Like if he decides yeah. to do something, he's just gonna leap across the room and do it. <laughs> Walking through the hallways, Harry runs into Snape. Snape takes a moment to congratulate his son on his performance at the Black Lake. Congratulations, your performance was inspiring. <laughs> then he tries to teach Harry a lesson about not lying and accuses Harry of stealing gillyweed and ingredients for Polyjuice Potion. And he is right. Harry did steal ingredients for Polyjuice Potion two years ago. I assume that Snape found out about it the year that they stole it in the first place. And then just that's why he assumed it was them again. But I thought that was actually kind of like very complimentary because, mm -hmm. first of all, he thinks they're capable of stealing from him. Uh, but second of all, that like not many people can make the Polyjuice Potion. And so he's like, well, who else in the school could make it? Only my son. Only my son and his <laughs> friends. <laughs> and also he thinks they're using Polyjuice, but he's not going to like do anything about it. He's nah. just like, well, they're good. <laughs> Kids, so they must be using it for a good purpose. Yeah, but just, just don't do it again. <laughs> yeah. Okay, at the beginning of the third test, Filch fires the cannon too soon again, and I like the consistency that Filch seems to believe that three and one are the same number. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he always looks at Dumbledore like, what? <laughs> you said the number that I shoot it on every time. <laughs> Who grew this massive, enormous city-sized hedge maze? So it's got to be Hagrid, right? This is the best evidence in this movie for the Hagrid is a Death Eater theory, is that Moody was the one who hid the cup, and Hagrid was the one who grew the maze. And that between the two of them, this maze is designed to help Harry, yes. right? Yeah. Nothing in this maze really tries to harm him. Some of the creatures do, but like, they're creatures. And he knows the, the sp spider-repelling spell. Right. And who else could have figured out that riddle about spider? No one. Yeah, no, no one could have figured that Only out. Spider. Dude. That's Why was the there no Sphinx in the movie? I I'm know, so I mad that they cut Sphinx. it. It was this kind of best, a very weird, it was not action-packed little <laughs> encounter he has. Yeah. We specifically see that this maze, like, it changes and moves, right? And every time it moves, it does so to help Harry. Yeah. Aside from it the first time when it closes in there. But yeah, to it, it opens paths directly to the cup. Exactly. So I'm like, Harry, Hagrid and Moody created a maze to make Harry win. <laughs> Like yeah, this maze will stop everyone else. It'll, you know, knock them out and cover them up in vines and make them, you know, crazy. I don't believe Moody could have done this on his own. Like he, he enchanted mm. a lot of things. He was so he busy this year. He was handholding Harry the whole time. He <laughs> needed Hagrid to enchant these hedges. Mm -hmm. Yes. Who put them in charge of this maze? Dumbledore. Exactly. Yeah. Dumbledore <laughs> specifically placed these two severely compromised people in charge of the biggest challenge, yeah. which would take Harry to Voldemort. I think yeah. it's pretty good evidence that Dumbledore is evil. We'll get to this at the end. Dumbledore has a very good reason for doing this. What would have happened if Harry hadn't found the cup first? <laughs> like if Flora had found it. <laughs> well, that's why they designed the whole like, maze crap. to stop everyone else. But yes, it would have been very unfortunate. Cedric wasn't even supposed to go. He's only there because Harry was just being nice. Yep. <laughs> Did Voldemort just, did he block Harry's Expelliarmus with his hand? I assumed he was using wandless magic and used like Protego or something. Holy crap. Voldemort is powerful. That's he is. Expelliarmus <laughs> is an insane spell when Harry casts it. <laughs> Took out Snape just like that. He learned it wrong. <laughs> so I just want to say that I've always thought that Priori Incantatum is the dumbest ever <laughs> two wands are the same core dual and for no reason causes the loser wand to show echoes of the last random spells that it performed first he gets to see his best friend cedric come back then his yeah, best aw, friend cedric. that random old man come yeah, back. The old man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that old man. 
the last spell cast by Voldemort was killing Harry's parents before killing this old man and then killing Cedric, right? How did he get his wand back? Who gave Voldemort his wand? Who was present to pick uh, it up hmm. after oh, he died? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so there were been? only a few people there. Only a few people were present immediately after Harry Potter, his parents were murdered. Hagrid <laughs> showed up first <laughs> and collected Harry to deliver him to Dumbledore. And Sirius showed up to give his motorbike to Hagrid and then got arrested immediately after. <laughs> That's it. Oh, nope, nope. <laughs> Snape showed up to cradle Lily's dead body and cry. Snape showed up to cradle Lily's dead body. You're right. I forgot. But he would have been way too busy cradling Lily to recover anyway. Right. Who's that that. giant man taking that baby? I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) Is that my son? I'll worry about that later. I'll worry about that in 11 years. If Snape had had the wand, it never would have gotten back to Voldemort. If Sirius had had the wand, then the ministry would have gotten it when he was arrested and they would have destroyed it. If the wand had been left there, like if no one got it, then muggles would have gotten it or the ministry would have gotten it when they searched the house. The only way it could have ended up back in Voldemort's possession is if Hagrid took it and (laughs) gave it to him. Hagrid took this wand and kept it safe for 18 years. We know Hagrid searched that house. He also took Harry's keys to his Gringotts vault. Yeah, and the the photo album. So like he just scoured the place. (laughs) He's just looting it. He's like, I'll take this. I'll take this baby. I'll take. The <laughs> I'll take this crying Snape. Oh, wait, sorry. I'll just leave oh, you. Say this, Snape. <laughs> well, we also know that Hagrid is very good at smuggling wands. He's been doing it with his own wand for years. Yep. He has, yes. And for me, this is the biggest proof that Hagrid is a Death Eater because there's no other possible person who could have collected this wand and given it to Voldemort. <laughs> I think that's great proof. Thanks to that weird wand thing, Harry escapes, comes back. They show up in front of the Hogwarts and the band strikes up and plays. Yeah. Harry is like, like, no, no, people try to tear him away and he's like clutching him. I wish it was Ron who died instead of you. (laughs) And so then Moody is the one who squirrels Harry away as like everyone's kind of in a panic. Vardy has Harry in his office. So Barty Crouch, who is masquerading as Moody, when Dumbledore comes in, he says, Dumbledore, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. And then he shows his dark mark. And then Dumbledore says, Harry, your arm, and lifts up Harry's wounded arm for no reason. <laughs> no reason. <laughs> yeah. But also, I think that kind of implies maybe Dumbledore has a dark mark of some kind. Well, I think Dumbledore thought Harry had one. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Harry, did you just swear fealty to the Dark Lord? <laughs> so in the book... When Harry tells Dumbledore that Voldemort was reborn, it says for a fleeting instant, Harry thought he saw a gleam of something like triumph in Dumbledore's Mm -hmm. eyes. Yeah, and lots of people have asked what that was about. Now, that really (laughs) stuck out to me as a kid. I thought for sure Dumbledore was going to turn out to be the real bad guy. People argue that this line is because Voldemort used Harry's blood and this somehow protected Harry. Well, no, this this makes this succeeds in making Harry the last Horcrux, which was well, no, er, Harry was already the last Horcrux. He was that's why he's a parcel tongue. He's already the last. So neither can live while the other survives. That's the the prophecy. So before he took Harry's blood, it was just Voldemort could not die while Harry survived. When Voldemort took Harry's blood into him, that made it so Harry could also not die while Voldemort survived. It's a nonsense explanation. It's completely <laughs> yeah, stupid. Yeah, it's but not good. Well, however you take it, though, who put Mad-Eye Moody and Hagrid in charge of doing this whole thing that took Harry to Voldemort? Dumbledore did. He knew this was going to happen because it somehow figured into his plan, and it was a triumphant moment for him when Voldemort came back to life with Harry's blood now in his body. I think Dumbledore actually gains a lot from the rise of Voldemort because everyone sees him as like the most powerful wizard in the world and the only one who can protect you from Voldemort, right? As long as he's here, Voldemort can't touch you, right? And so like (laughs) for him, Voldemort succeeding and coming back is actually like really good for Dumbledore's position in some ways. You're right. So at the end of the movie, we get that moment where Hermione says, everything's going to change now, isn't it? Then Hermione says, you'll write, won't you? 
And Ron says, you know, I won't write. And then she says, Harry will. Won't you, Harry? And he says, he's like, yes, yeah, every day. I'd be so happy to write. Well, the funny thing about it is he seems to be like laughing and like him and Ron are kind of trading a glance like I'm not going to write every day. The fifth book at least starts with him being furious that they haven't written him all summer. So right? he probably was writing every yeah, day. He was, he was probably definitely. completely sincere. <laughs> but no, I mean, what kind of friend is Ron? He's just like, hey, write me a letter and he's like i won't no. <laughs> no i won't like geez what a jerk well he's like i already control you i'd just be writing to myself <laughs> wow. so let's wrap it up what do we think about all the theories i don't any more believe that snape was harry's father yeah i don't think this movie was particularly yeah, helpful no. for the snape is harry's father theory i think you can read that into it but it's not proven there's always evidence that Dumbledore is just a terrible person. <laughs> and there was in this movie as well. Like hungry. even giving him all the leeway in the world, he is criminally incompetent when it comes to protecting these children that he's in charge of. Despite not being in this movie very much, there is plenty of Hagrid Death Eater evidence. Yes. I definitely believe that Hagrid is a Death Eater. Yeah, I think 100%. That, that that theory has been advanced quite a bit. Uh, and then the Ron Imperius curse theory, I think also that in this movie, movie there's been the best evidence so far and some pretty solid evidence for something weird going on there and some very solid evidence for the hermione theory <laughs> is that their couple name it is <laughs> it just makes her sound like a werewolf wow <laughs> she, <laughs> she is, is. Yeah. werewolves love her <laughs> werewolves love her because of this one simple trick yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. Music for this episode was provided by Christine. If you like our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe. You can find us on Twitter at Popcorn Isn't Real. If you have any ideas for theories that you'd like us to cover, hey, let us know. We'd be happy to do it. And remember, the, the popcorn, popcorn isn't, isn't real. real.